Hey, well, it's again, my name is Darcy Duick for anybody who doesn't know me and I'm the lead pastor here and it's just good to see all the faces and people here and good to see a full room. Um, thank you for like following all the guidelines. You know, we are all living in this world together, so uh, we have to do it together, right? So I just appreciate, appreciate all that. And for those of you who don't no citizens, most of you do, but this is a good reminder for everybody, like we are here and we exist to see people transformed by Jesus Christ. That is why we are here as a church. And Sunday mornings are this amazing time where we get together and we gather and it's really meant to focus our minds and our hearts on Jesus Christ again. Um, but our primary place, and I mentioned this before, our primary place for making disciples is in our missional families, right? That is a place where we want to grow together and where the, the bonds of being brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers in Christ is actually going to take us into uh, a greater depth. So there is definite enjoyment in our worship here together, but really the, the heart of our mission and the vision of this church is to see us growing through and in missional families. So if that intrigues you, if that's something you'd like to know more about, you can read more about it on the website or you can talk to myself or um, most of the regulars here at Citizens too, just to find out more about that vision. So let me just say this, probably for the last time, please turn in your Bibles to the book of Jonah, okay? Or if you have a phone, uh, look up the book of Jonah. Um, maybe your Bible is starting to crack open there already. That's all right. You know, that's, that's a good thing. We've spent, this is our seventh week now going through Jonah. And I don't know about you, but I love finishing things up. Like whether it's finishing a box of cereal or... Maybe not emptying the bag of milk, that's, that's no fun because then you got to reload it. But just like finishing something is good, right? Because you can put it in recycling or it's done or whatever. This is kind of, it feels that way a little bit with Jonah. It's like it's been good to work through this and it's going to be good to finish it. Not to put it in recycling, we're going to hang on to it, but just to move on to other things. And throughout the book of Jonah, almost every week, and I think I said this in the first Sunday that we gathered looking at Jonah, almost every week, we're looking at like the same themes that keep coming up. God's sovereignty, right? The fact that God is working through all things. The goodness and, and the compassion of God in, in all things. And then the last one is just God's purpose in mission, right? This is mainly what we've been looking at through Jonah is, you know, how God has actually uh, prepared him and wants to see him on mission and working effectively. And so each of these has been uh, a lesson for us. But one of the things that attracted me to even study the book of Jonah was, was that this is a book for, like, the religious, okay? So I know we live in Canada. We live in what they call, like, this post-Christian culture. Um, but we still live in a very, like, religious-y kind of an area. Most of us, if we raised our hands, would have a deep background in, in church or maybe some sort of experience um, and so even though Jonah is a book that is for everybody, for people who don't know Jesus Christ at all, it's specifically important for those of us who are entrenched, those of us who are steeped in religiosity, right? And the trappings that can come with that. And so it's really, uh, I hope it's been challenging for you each of the weeks. Each week has been challenging for me in a different way. And I'm trusting that God will again 
um, reveal maybe like a little nugget this morning to you as we look at this last, these last seven verses, which are maybe the oddest of the whole bunch, right? Like the whole book is kind of wacky in a lot of ways, but this last set of seven verses are kind of like strange in, in how they're told. And, and again, the, the imagery is there to get us thinking about these themes that we just mentioned. So we're just going to walk through the verses, all right? We're going to walk through it for our last time here and see what the Lord has to teach us. So look at verse 5 in chapter 4. It says that Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there, and he sat under the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Here's Jonah. He's just had this um, amazing experience. Uh, maybe not that. Maybe not the way he would describe it. Amazing, but he's you know he's roughly preached this message of God to the people of Nineveh, and they've responded. They're responding in the right way. There's like a change in their life. There's repentance that's happening. And we saw last week that Jonah is like ticked, right? Jonah's like this is no good that God is actually doing this. And so rather than kind of stay in the center of what God is doing. He leaves, and it says that he builds this little booth outside of the city, and he sits down to watch what's going to go on. Now, it doesn't clearly state what the purpose of this is. You know, it might be that he's hoping to see, like, eruption of partying or happiness, you know, that these people are turning to God. But most commentators, and myself included, would probably say he's out there hoping that, like, God's going to change his mind. Hoping that maybe there's going to be like a new Sodom and Gomorrah happening, right? The story of Sodom and Gomorrah where fire comes down and, and they're seeing like the destru- destruction of these cities. Uh, that is kind of where Jonah is landing. And the reason we can say that is because like in this whole chapter, in chapter 4, his disposition, his, his way of being is just like angry and self-centered and just hoping for destruction to come on this city. And so Jonah is, again, his heart is not captured by the grace of God. Maybe all of us would say, like, if we experienced this, that would not be our response. We would be captured by the grace of God. But maybe we wouldn't. Maybe, maybe it would be harder than we think um, under certain circumstances to be captured by the grace of God. But here we see again that Jonah, someone who is a prophet, someone who is familiar with Jehovah and and the writings of scripture and probably familiar with the Torah, understands it well, is unfamiliar with the grace of God. Doesn't have an intimate knowledge of what God is doing around him. And maybe maybe you even have that in your own testimony. Uh, A life of um, being in and around religion and in and around church. Maybe you're like me, like you grew up in church, you went to Sunday school, you maybe you went to Awanas. When I was a kid, we went to Boys Brigade. Ever heard of Boys Brigade? That was like old school, right? Um, went to Boys Brigade. It's like Christian scouts, essentially. And then maybe you went to youth group or you went to Bible camp. And you know, you, you probably know, or maybe even this is in your testimony, people that have gone through all of those things and yet their hearts were not captured by the grace of God. Somehow, they were able to exist in those places and not be captured by God's goodness. And this is what we see actually in Jonah, that God is trying to get at his heart so that he'll really understand what is God like 
and what is God's purposes as he works in Nineveh and even beyond that. Jonah is not captured by the grace of God. And so he, we see that he doesn't have an ability to, to weep over a city that is lost. He doesn't have a, a way to kind of mourn those who are following God. He doesn't even have a way to rejoice in the fact that some are turning to him. He's totally cut off from it. And so to me, it was like a reminder this week of, you know, even what we're doing here at Citizens. You know, we're, we're in this little fellowship hall here. And, and the reason that, you know, we did this as a, as a launch team, for those of us who are part of the launch team, the reason that we did this was not so that we could just like keep this to ourselves, right? As good as this is, as much as we enjoy the fellowship, this was actually made, and the reason we've kind of put our hands into this was for others. It was so that others could actually enter in and enjoy the, the grace and the, the things that we enjoy together, and how quickly it can turn to, man, I really like this thing, and I kind of want to like keep it for myself. And that's what Jonah is actually experiencing here. And so he has what we could call a heart issue. Jonah has a heart issue. And so the, the way that you would stop, the way that you actually change your heart issue is to begin to focus less on yourself. Because you can see here in verse 4, sorry, in verse 5, and, and even you'll see as you scan verse 6, 7, and 8, we'll get to those in a minute, we see that, that Jonah is actually completely focused on himself. He is like the center of what God should be focused on, right? He, that's the only thing that he is worried about is what, is what is happening around me. And so he is totally focused on himself. And so this is a temptation that I think all of us face. It's a temptation that um, Adam and Eve faced in the garden. It was like the first temptation they had is like, okay, what has God given you? But what about you? Okay, the focus on you. And now that's a temptation that all of us face on any given day. Like we live, if, if we kind of think about it for a moment, we live in this air of um, individuality. We live in this world where we are the center of it. Like we should be choosing what our life is. Uh, the, the gospel of secularism is this individual life where I can choose basically all the things that matter in my life. So I can choose where I want to live, and we live in a mobile world, so we can, maybe not anymore, but we can almost live anywhere. We're getting back to those days where you could, you could live anywhere, right? You could choose to live anywhere. You can choose what kind of work you want to do. You can choose who you want to sleep with. You can choose who you want to be. You can, you know, we even live in a world, you can choose your gender. You can choose anything, right? Anything is up for grabs. We totally live in a world of choice. And that's the air that we breathe as, as a society, that we are the center of the world, of our universe, really. And, you know, just a little side note, um, it's the promise, or, or I call it here the gospel of secularism, but it's a gospel that doesn't bear out. It's a gospel that is actually, we're actually seeing it uh, crumbling around us, right? The level of people that are sad, and depressed, the level of people that are alone, that are um, distracted and have no purpose in their life, like those numbers in our society are just like on the uptick, 
right? Just up, 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 up. And this is what the, the gospel of secularism is kind of given to us. And Mark Sayers, I referenced him last week too, he, he puts it this way. He says, you know, this individualism promises the kingdom without the king. So it promises all the blessings that we want in this kingdom, all the, all the good things that God has actually promised for society to flourish, but they say you can do it without a king. You can just do it in your own way. And so loneliness, sadness, confusion, all on the uptick. And, and um, Mark Sayers also says that one of the things that we can look to is actually that societies are beginning to, especially Western societies, are beginning to show the cracks of this kind of a worldview. And he says, the place you need to look to is actually look to the country of Japan. Okay, so I don't know if you're, we, we love Japan, we love the things about Japan, but he says, look to Japan because Japan is like 10 years ahead of us in a lot of things. They tend to be 10 years ahead in technology, in cleanliness and organization, right? They're all over that kind of stuff. And Robert Samuelson from the Washington Post, he wrote this about Japan. He, he did this little kind of view into Japan in this article last year, and he said, what you see about Japan may actually frighten you a little bit. Okay, he says, there's many blessings to this country. There's amazing things happening, but he says, the cracks are showing a little bit ahead of the, the North American cracks. And so he says this, Japan is facing a situation of a declining population a declining workforce, and the share of the population that is elderly is on the rise. And so this is driving up government spending on pensions and health care. And together with attempts to stimulate its economy, it's going through, you know, tons of government spending. And Japan has run this enormous government debt. And he says, to put it bluntly, Japan is slowly going out of business. This is actually like the product of hyper-urban individualism, right, that we're seeing in this country. And so even in a country like Canada, where we have on average like 4,000 suicides a year, and that's always going up. In the last 10 years, it's been going up. In Japan, it's 70,000 a year, right? So here you've got like these, this society that looks wonderful, right? You look at it, it looks amazing and, and hope to go visit there someday. But the worldview of this individualism, of this self-centered life actually begins to bear fruit. And this is what we're seeing in Jonah's life here. It's like his life has been focused on himself, pushing away the grace of God. He has been the center of the story. And now he can't even rejoice over God moving in this city and through these people. So the heart of the Christian, the heart of the gospel, the heart of what God is doing around us is actually a gospel that is not centered on ourselves, but it's actually on giving. It's actually on that there's a cost to um, providing for others, for caring for others. A couple of examples from scripture would be in Romans 9, where the Apostle Paul says this. He says, in verse 2, 9 verse 2, he says that I have great sorrow. He said, the Holy Spirit bears witness that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Paul saying, I would give my life so that Israel would know and have a relationship with God. Self-sacrifice. Jesus says a similar thing in Luke 13, 34. He says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. 
How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. Jesus is like, I would love to just bring you close to me and I'll sacrifice myself for you. So both Jesus and Paul in these examples are, are talking about people that are directly opposed to them, that literally want to kill them, right? These are Israel, Israelis, Israelite people who want to kill Christ and they also want to kill Paul. They want to take them both down. And both of these guys really show what the gospel is, is that it's, the gospel is about other people. It's about giving. It's about serving. And so how do we fight this self-centered life that all of us struggle with? How do we get a heart for the lost so that we don't just end up being this little group under here and this is kind of where it stays? How do we actually increase in, in our desire for other people to know Jesus? Well, David Kinnaman in his book, uh, Faith for Exiles, he kind of took this, did this research into what markings were there for young people who actually followed Christ. So he came, he did a study of like thousands of young people who followed Christ and came up with five indicators, five markers of like, these are the things that are a part of these young people's lives. And his last one on the list was that they would curb entitlement and self-centered tendencies. So people who know Christ, have a vibrant walk with him, this is one of the things that they would actually do is that they would find a way to like cut through their self-centered worldview. And so how does he do that? He lists a number of different things, but I just wanted to give a few for us to think about. The first one he mentioned, which is maybe the most difficult for us who live in a uh, super comfortable world. He says, we don't put safety first. So he says, the, one of the main things that people need to get into their minds is that their personal safety, their personal comfort, their personal likes and satisfactions cannot be first if they want to be a faithful witness who has a heart for the lost. Because, listen, any kind of relationship will cost you. We, we understand that often in the context of family, right? Like, if you don't want to, if you want to have like an easy, like not a self-giving life, you know, don't get married and definitely don't have children, right? They will, I don't know if like suck the life out of you is the right way of saying it, but almost, right? You will have to serve and serve and serve. So if you don't want any of those things, just like stay away from them, right? Just uh, hold someone's baby and then give them back to just enjoy that part. Because we understand that within a nuclear family, when there's other people, when there's relationships, there's a cost, there's a giving, there's a sharing that has to happen. And so as believers, when we, if we put our safety first, if we put our comfort as first and primary, it will kill a heart for the lost. And this is what we see happening in Jonah's life. The second is that we need to lead with love. So as we Let's say we take that step. We're like, we're willing to go into some pain to be in relationship with other people because we want a heart for the lost. And as we do that, what will most, almost always happens is you find this conflict of views, right? A conflict of values or a conflict of beliefs. And so what usually rises up within us maybe is defensiveness or need to win an argument. And here he says, our, pr our first step, the first step, even, even as we go to 
defend, you know, the case for Christ, or even as we disagree with people, the first step as we lean into this is to lead with love. The first step is to lean in and lead with love. And, and maybe now more than ever, it's um, so easy to get defensive. Everybody's on edge. We're all like, honestly, we're all a little bit ticked off, right? Because we're living in this COVID world. So everybody's a little grouchy just on the best of days. Our response is to lead with love. And that's, that is impossible for us to do in our own. So we look to the example of Christ. And as believers, we are empowered by the Holy Spirit. And then the third one, he says, is we actually make a difference. So rather than being stuck with the question, can I make a difference? Like, can God really use me? Is there anything that I can really do? Maybe I can only do like a little bit. Is that little bit even going to matter? He says, people who are sure that even the tiny, small things that they do will make a difference, they're the ones that actually see impact. They're the ones whose hearts begin slowly over time to increase with a, a desire to see the lost reached by the grace of God. Because we've been in the same place. And so these are like small little things that, that we see will increase our desire for the lost and they'll decrease our desire for us to be the center and for us to believe and buy into the secular gospel that really has only fruit that will not last in the long run. So, Jonah is stuck outside. Look at verse 6. What does God do here? Verse 6 says, Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might shade over him to save him from the discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. So, I mean, this shows again that God is just super gracious, right? Like, if it was me, Jonah would be done a long time ago. I've, I've had this experience before as a parent where you're trying to do something nice. Maybe you're like, hey, kid, let's play Legos together. Or, hey, kid, let's go out and do this thing. And there's like fighting that erupts or maybe there's like someone doesn't want to do it and within like 30 seconds I'm like thinking in my head okay I'm done like let's just shut this down give everybody some books it's over right that if so if this was me because this is about the only time where we see that Jonah is happy have you noticed that this is like the only verse where he is sitting there sulking and God provides this plant for more shade for him and it's the only time that he's happy and God, in his amazing grace, does not just destroy him on the spot, but his grace again abounds to Jonah. So then look at verse 7. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was, so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. So God comes to him again patiently trying to show him grace and um, is really in this moment trying to get Jonah's attention again. Right? Trying to get Jonah's attention. There's been... You know, in chapter 1, we saw he's trying to get Jonah's attention, and Jonah, his attention is gotten in chapter 2. We looked at that. He's, 
He's actually repentant in chapter 2 and, and turns and, and sees the grace of God in that moment. And then, boom, it's off again. And now God, in a different way, is trying to get his attention. Once again, he's using this plant. And, you know, looking at this, you might think, like, is God just, like, messing with Jonah? You know, is, is a sovereign God, God who is in control of all things, is he just... Does he just like mess around with Jonah? Does he just mess around with people? You know, are the, the bad things that come into your life, is that just God like kind of playing around with you? Like this deity up there who's kind of bored and he just wants to torture people. God is trying to get Jonah's attention. And he is not like pagan gods who we have no idea what they're like. I can remember when, when Liz and I were in uh, West Africa Every year, the people in the village who believed in pagan gods and, and demons that were around them, they would bring out witch doctors out to their gardens, and they would do sacrifices, and they would write incantations on paper and leave them in the field because they had no idea what these gods were like. They had no idea what these gods were going to do. And, and maybe this little incantation will be an appeasement to them, and then our crops will grow they won't be destroyed by storms. You know, sickness won't come into our family. We just, we hope, we hope, we hope. This is not the God that we serve. This is not the God of the Bible. There may be times where we look at stories and we say, what is going on here? Like, what is God really doing? But when we look over Scripture and over the length of Scripture, we see that what we have actually is uh, a good God who is able to use everything in life for his purposes. He can use the, the greatest things that we enjoy, right? The, the sunsets in the summer. Some people must love rainy days, right? The rainy days, um, just sitting inside and uh, reading a book. The, the food that we enjoy. God can use all those things to reveal himself to us and draw us into his grace. But he can also use the deepest and darkest and most painful moments that we go through. He can use the hardest things that anybody, is, if they looked at them, would say, there is no way that God can be in this, in the midst of this. And yet God is able to do that. And renewal most of the time, renewal, so God doing something in our lives, God drawing us closer to himself, renewal most often happens in periods of crisis, change, and transition, right? Those are the times actually where when we go through the deepest waters that we're actually drawn the closest to God. George Hunter wrote this, he says, Persons experiencing important life transitions are more receptive than persons in stable periods of life. Such transitions tend to unfreeze their lives and makes change possible. These difficult waves, like this pandemic that we are all in the midst of, that we are all experiencing, and that like all of our feet are kind of on like shaky ground, and most of our weeks are filled with more stress than what we would have had even pre-pandemic. Those are the moments that actually unfreeze us. And this is what God is, is trying to do here with Jonah. He's, he's trying to use this plant to unfreeze Jonah to see what is actually going on around him. Because Jonah is like blinded by his self-ambition. 
and by his, his own circumstances. And God's saying, okay, how do I get this guy's attention? I'm going to use like the, the, the weather, the sun, and heat somehow to get this guy's attention. And I'm going to have to take something away. And so we need eyes that actually help us understand what are the things that are going on in our lives. To be able to see and understand with greater clarity. I know sometimes when I watch uh, football on a Sunday afternoon, I'm the only one in the family who likes football, and so sometimes people are sitting there and they're like, what is going on here? Like, how does this game work? What is the rule? Like, he's throwing it, and then there's some lines, and there, what is second and four? What does that mean? Like, there's great confusion, right? And I usually don't take the time to explain it. Um, there's just too many rules, but... As Christians, we need to understand what is going on around us. We need to be able to like see through the circumstances around us to see what is God actually doing. And the Apostle Paul um, says it this way in 2 Corinthians 4. He says, so we do not lose heart. He's talking about being in difficulty and being in suffering. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not at things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Paul's saying, we as believers need to be able to, we need to grow into seeing through the circumstances and seeing that God is actually doing something here, even in the midst of great pain, even in the midst of like hard affliction, that God is in here. He's allowed this to happen. And what is he doing? And often that's going to take um, other brothers and sisters in Christ coming alongside us, uh, praying with us. Like saying in these moments, hey, I, I don't have the answers either, but let's ask God, like show us. Give us eyes, God, to see what is actually happening here and what do you want to grow me up in? And in this season of, of deep pain or deep affliction, how do you want me actually to grow closer to you, to grow in depth in my walk, in my relationship with you? Because we, we've all experienced then that once we come out of that season, we all give testimony to, man, God taught me something in that moment that I would never have learned otherwise. And so our vision is with like greater clarity of what God has actually done. And so that is what God is, is doing here with this plant in this kind of crazy way. He's saying, Jonah, do you see what's going on around you? Open your eyes to what is happening. So then we come to the last two verses, verses 10 and 11 which I think, you know, studying the whole book here, I think it actually all comes down to these last two verses, all right? It, it's, it's all been building up to this moment where God wants Jonah to see and God wants us to see that his heart is for people who are lost, that God has a care and a concern and a love for people who don't know Jesus he has a love and a concern, concern for us who are his children, but he deeply loves and, and wants to be in relationship who do not know him with people who do not know him at all. So verse 10 says this, And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, 
in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. So he's saying there, man, these, these people, they have no knowledge of God, right? They don't know their li- left hand from their right. It's not that they're like not intelligent people. It's they have no connection to Jehovah God at all. And this word that is used here twice, this word pity, some translations uh, use the word compassion. Others use the word concern. Maybe your translation says feel sorry, but he's using it twice there. Once he's using it for Jonah with the plant, that's the connection. And the second time, he's using it with God in connection to the people in Nineveh. And this word, the NIV commentary states that this word, this word pity or compassion is a word that means to grieve over someone or something, to have your heart broken, to weep for it. So Jonah is trying to get or God is trying to get Jonah's attention, and God wants Jonah to see, and he's using this language of pity, which is actually like language of attachment, right? Language of, I have a vested interest in this thing. And so God's wanting to see, Jonah, you are taking pity on this plant. Like, that's what you are completely connected to. This this gift from God, which was unearned, Jonah did not plant this thing. He did not water this thing. He had nothing to do with it. God grew this plant up. God is, is again, trying to get Jonah's attention, saying, you did nothing for this, Jonah, and now you have grown attached to this thing. Kind of sounds familiar, doesn't it? How easy we can become attached to the gifts that God gives to us. The things that, and I think we talked about this in our first couple weeks in Jonah, the things that become these, these idols, these things that become so over, like, huge in our lives that we, we couldn't imagine life without them. This is what God is saying, Jonah, you've become attached to those things. And God is saying, Jonah, my heart and what I've become attached to is the people of Nineveh. These people, these people who were far away from God, These people who were, in many ways, like Jonah, right? This is what actually God has drawn close to. And so the contrast there is not by accident, right? And the, the contrast is here for us to kind of think about and ponder at the end of this book because it's a question for all of us to wrestle with. Do we value the gifts of God more than God's own desire for people? And That's a question for me to answer, for you to answer. That's a question for Jonah to answer, and we're actually left with a cliffhanger. We don't know what Jonah's answer is. It kind of ends with God, like with this one final challenge to Jonah, and it kind of ends. Um, A lot of commentators think, well, Jonah probably responded finally because we actually have the book. So he told this to people and said, hey, this is like, this is what happened in my life, but we really don't know. And so... We're left of the cliffhanger. And so the question then for us is, have we become attached to the things of God rather than attached to what God is attached to, which is people, lives, hearts that are changed? So the story of Jonah really is a warning for all of us. And it's a warning, maybe, or maybe a reminder is a better word. It's a reminder that all of our hearts can be drawn towards things that are completely not the things that God is drawn towards. We can all be pulled into that. And in, in Matthew chapter 12, 
the scribes and the Pharisees, you know, these are people that love religion. They love going to the temple. They love studying the Torah. They, they just love having all the right answers. They probably loved all the robes that they got to wear with it. These guys were like, God, Christ was trying to draw them in, but at every turn, they just pushed and pushed and pushed. And so in Matthew 12, they say, hey, show us one more sign. Just give us a sign so that we can, that will make us believe in you. And so Jesus says, I'm not going to show you a sign. I'm not going to show you anything else. But he says, you have stories like Jonah. You have the story of Jonah. And he says, something greater than Jonah is here. And they were unable to see it. And so the question for us is, are we able to see the grace of God? Or are we pulled into things that actually pull us away from the grace of God? And as we leave Jonah here, I hope we don't heap judgment on this reluctant prophet, but I hope that he is a, a warning or maybe a reminder for us to put our minds on Christ, that something greater is actually here, that Christ has come and has taken our place. So Jonah, who was this reluctant prophet, is contrasted with Christ, who was not reluctant, but who was willing. Jonah, who was this like unfaithful prophet, is contrasted with Christ, who is faithful to the end. Jonah, who had like anger and uh, hatred towards those people who should have been against him, is contrasted by Christ, who just leads in love. And so this morning, I just want us to walk away encouraged that um, our sins have been covered. We enjoy this uh, great grace that we've been reading about here in Jonah. And now our mission actually is this collected body of believers that is to share that with others. We don't want to be people that sit outside the city and hope for it to burn. We're called to be close, to be near to people so that we can love and serve them. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do thank you for these weeks that we've been able to look at this small little book. And Lord, thank you for the lessons that we were able to learn together. And uh, Lord, I just pray that we would be reminded again of your grace and your love that we enjoy as brothers and sisters in Christ. But yet you, you look at uh, the town of Elmira, you look at the communities that we live in, Lord, you see people who do not know you, do not have a relationship with you, and your heart is not disdain or to push them away. Your heart is actually one of love. And so, Lord, I pray that we would be captured by that. Lord, we know that that is something that only you can do in our hearts, and so we just, we ask that you would do it. And uh, Father, thank you for being um, gracious towards us. And uh, we thank you that you go with us as we leave this place and we go to our work in, during the week and we go to our homes. And we pray, Lord, that, um, yeah, that we would just enter into those opportunities uh, with an openness to see you work in our midst. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.